He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Welcome to week 111, of a Good Talk Spoiled Golf Podcast. I'm James Richardson. I'm joined, as always, by Barry O'Hanron. Hey, Barry, how are you? Hey, James. Good. Early morning podcast. Early morning podcast. If anybody would like to get in contact with us, the Twitter handle is at podcastgts. Our email is a goodtalkspoiled at gmail.com. You'll find us on Game Golf as well. Uh, under James Richardson and Barry O'Hanrahan. So if you want to make any comments, make any, uh, uh, give us any views or any feedback or anything you'd like us to talk about in the world of golf, let us know at podcastgts, a good talk spoiled at gmail.com, and you'll find us under our names on Game Golf as well. Um, so we are going to slightly break from tradition today. We're going to start with the news because... We want to have a little bit of a conversation about the Heritage Pro-Am in a minute, but I suppose if we start uh, first, and, and Barry, you were looking at the story of Inby Park, and uh, the question's over whether or not she's about to uh, give the game up. Yeah, well, this is this is the first week she's going to qualify to uh, all of the criteria to get into the LPGA Hall of Fame, which um, everybody says is one of the most difficult Hall of Fames to get into in sports, so... Uh, it's a huge achievement and the, the list of hurdles you have to jump over to get into are too long to, to go through but um, she'll be playing this week she's been carrying a thumb injury for a while but uh, beware the injured golfer she's in a she's a three time defending champion of the, uh, the PGA Championship uh, the ladies PGA Championship so um, it wouldn't shock us at all if she went on to win again but uh, you know superb performance to you know throughout her career to get her spot in the hall of fame uh, well deserved well the funny thing about it is though when you when you said this to me i thought she's like you know what age is in b park she's 27 okay. you know so maybe she's deciding and, and i think this happens quite a bit with particularly obviously in the ladies game only is that they tend to to retire kind of in their late 20s early 30s start a family and then come back to the game so mm. it may be more of a suspension but um, I'm just looking at the, the majors. She's got seven major wins, but uh, only a tied eighth in the Evian Championship in 2015. So maybe if she targets that, and if she gets that this season, maybe that will be uh, with the Grand Slam under her belt. Yeah. She might decide that that's, that's enough for her for the time being. But it's, a, it's an interesting story, and it's certainly going to be one that we'll keep an eye on as to what happens with Inby. Let's talk about somebody who's not making a major championship, and that's going to be Tiger Woods, who has, I suppose everybody has heard this at this stage, has said that he's not ready for the US Open or the Quicken Loans um, later this month, and that he just doesn't feel that the body is physically ready. Um, Season is ticking by, um, false dawns come and go. I've heard people talk this week that you know clearly it's it's just a case that it's he's just not going to come back at this stage and that he needs to to either admit to that himself or admit that to the public. But um, it is sad to kind of not have him at the open and you know it's 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 awful. He's been a, he has been the game 
for gone how many years now? It's, it's not gone twenty years. It's nearly twenty years since that twenty seventeen or the nineteen ninety seven win on the Masters by twelve shots. So, uh, which he's writing a book on. That's cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. He's yeah, co-writing it. Um, so he'll be giving the story, and I'm sure the writer's going to put a much better spin and presentation on it than than Tiger ever could. You know, Tiger skill sets, golf, probably not storytelling. So, um, yeah, that'll be a good one to to read. I think the thing about Tiger that just gets me is that um, I'm amazed for a guy who had so much involvement in golf that he really has not had any involvement for so long. Like, you know, he's not been a guest presenter as a commentator. He hasn't been wandering around the events. He hasn't done kind of a huge amount of media stuff. Like, it's just funny that not even swinging the golf club, he's just not been around golf. Yeah. Um, He's done a few clinics now, but he's yeah, largely kept at low profile. Maybe it's a you know it syncs up with a good time. He is injured. It's a good time to take an actual de facto break from the game, which will might reinvigorate him, help him focus again. If if he does come back, God, I hope he does come back. Uh, but by just by reading the stuff, uh, the, the comments he's making, it seems that if he is going to come back, he is not rushing it at all. He is making sure he is. 110% ready to come back and not, you know, this might be his final chance to come back. So there is like, there's no sense in rushing back for the sake of one tournament or one season worth of majors. And, and I think that's the point. This is possibly his last chance mm. to get the body right. And we haven't, nobody has been in the room with the doctors and perhaps they're saying, Tiger, you go back too early you know, it's it, it it's likely that you could be in a wheelchair. You don't know. You mm-hmm. know, like one more injury, it is a back, so it's so, so serious that, um, you know, three surgeries and, you know, they may be saying, you got to look at your long term here. You know, do you want to be able to pick your kids up? Do you want to be able to run on the beach? Do you want to do all of those things? And, you know, he's a relatively still a very young man. And, you know, maybe he's decided that there's more to life than, than, than Jack's record. Um, so somebody who won't be there is Tiger, but uh, Bryson DeChambeau has qualified for the US Open uh, for the second time. Um, it was made a little bit easier. The reigning US amateur champion gave up his spot at Oakmont when he turned professional, but he earned it back last Monday with the blistering 7-under 63 at the Wedgwood Golf and Country Club. Um, he had shot a 2-under 70 earlier in the morning at nearby Kinsale, so He's obviously delighted that he's going, and um, it's great, I think, for the game, because I think this is a, a real character in the game that we've spoken about at, at length um, over the last couple of weeks since since he's kind of come on the scene. So I think it's going to be a it's a good news story for mm. the US Open to have Jambo at it. He just seems destined for something big with the the kind of person he is and the, you know, the science he's brought to the game, the different clubs, just the whole story and you know the, the flat cap... It, it just, it seems like it's a story that's already been written and he's just following the, the timeline to get there and, and win something big or, or do a lot of really great things in the game. So, uh, yeah, great to see him. And he's uh, he's brought a great kind of topic of conversation about equipment to the game this year and an interesting angle to it. So, Absolutely. Uh, and something we are going to have a better look at when we kind of get our heads around it a little bit more. Um, so I suppose let's look at it you know, one or two other stories and uh, we go down to the uh, Shell Carn um, Open in a couple of weeks and that is going to be the only tournament after 2017 that uh, 
is going to be hosted and sponsored by Shell as they have announced that they're going to end the PGA Tour sponsorship of the Shell Houston Open from 2017. They've decided not to renew it. Um, that's a big loss, I think, uh, you know, to, to the Shell Houston. It's yeah. a big loss to the to the tour itself, but obviously they've decided to move on in their sponsoring arrangements. Yeah, it's a strange one because they've had such a long history with sponsoring golf. You know, the, the Shell's wonderful world of golf and we kind of always hoped that might get reinvigorated, but you know that would take a huge amount of money these days to, to get the big stars to play in that and with an already crowded schedule, when do they find two or three days to go record? I think we read before that those 18-hole matches, they took two days to record them. They didn't just do it in a day. I mean, maybe these days now with all the cameras they'd be able to get it done in a day, but uh, yeah, so could be maybe the pros. If anyone have an affinity to Shell as a sponsor, they might end up playing in the pro am and Karn every It's year. also yeah, absolutely. It's also a uh, it's an incredible look in the diary. The Houston Open the week before the Masters mm. is a great. It's a premier spot, so it's going to have to be a big, big name. I'd say that we'll have to open the checkbook. It means that only the Hyundai Classic, which started in 1982, and the ATT uh, Pebble Beach Pro Am in 1986, have longer runs with their current sponsors. So, um, sad to see them go. It, it, it will be a, a year anyway before they they head off. But uh, that will end after 2017. Their their sponsorship with the Shell Houston Open since 1992. So, we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on who might take over. Um, I suppose then finally looking a little bit down the line in the Ryder Cup, um, it looks like Ian Poulter looks like with the conditions surrounding his injury and just the way that his, uh, his, his ability to get back, it looks like he's now going to have to take up the role as vice-captain at the Ryder Cup rather than a playing capacity. He says it's very demoralising because I think it's no secret to everybody how much I love the Ryder Cup and how much I want to compete. Um, he said, obviously I wasn't in the best of form, I was finding it difficult to play and I wasn't in the position to be picked either. That was also difficult as well. So, um, you know, the postman won't be there in a playing uh, capacity, but I suppose it um, it gives other guys an opportunity to step forward and take on that mantle. Yeah, I think this could probably be the way that he could be most beneficial and useful to the European team in, in his current guys. Like, he wasn't playing great. He hasn't been playing great for a while. And now with the injury as well, he might have taken up a spot that would have otherwise been better filled by somebody who's younger, hungrier, playing better. And he can now give that experience he has uh, of being so successful in the Ryder Cup and give that to all 12 guys and be able to focus on giving that to them because he's not playing. So he can now focus all his energy on imparting that advice and helping the team in that way. So I was watching back a program um, on Seve Ballesteros on Tuesday evening and uh, they were talking about Seve at the time that he was captaining mm. the uh, European Ryder Cup in Valorama. That, you know, Colin Montgomery and Nick Faldo was like, you know, there was a point where you knew that he was playing every shot. He was telling you how to play every shot. I just wonder if Ian Poulter will be that guy who will play every shot in his head, be standing beside every grouping, telling them what to do. I'd say it's going to be very tough for him. Out of curiosity, and I know it's completely hypothetical now, Ian Poulter, if he had shown a little bit of form coming into the Ryder Cup, would he have been a pick, knowing he's one of those players that seems to up their game for match play? Could easily have been. 
could easily have been, you know. A lot of young guys showing... Uh, it would also depend on the makeup of the team. If there were a lot of new rookies in there and young guys, not an awful lot of experience in the dressing room, why wouldn't he have been with that record? I know he had a bad one the last time out, but uh, he's just a different beast when it comes to match play. Yeah, well, it's it's look, he's going to be there, so it's... Um, so will Tiger um, Woods, so there is a little bit of involvement for Tiger. So yeah, have a good co- fight across the fairways. That yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's move on and let's talk about, I suppose, the first uh, professional tournament that we're going to look back on from last weekend and really, you know, for, let's forget about the LPGA, the PGA and the European Tour. And that was the Heritage Pro-Am, uh, the Heritage Challenge Pro-Am and... Um, which was being sponsored and uh, was for the benefit of the Seve Foundation at the Heritage Golf and Country Club in Killinard. And uh, congratulations to Colin Moriarty of the Drive Golf Performance Limited, who had a superb 67-68 for a 9-under total and a one-shot win over David Higgins from Waterfield Golf Links. Um, third was Michael McDermott, then Damian McGrain and Eamon Brady um, were a couple of shots behind. Um, our own Mark Omani had a had a tough first day. Um, it's you know just didn't fall for him. The putter was just a little bit off, and you know it was just unfortunate that you know the first day he had a lot of work to do on day two, and and yeah. had a real chance to go go low on on Sunday. But it was a real uh, it was just a strange one all weekend for him. Like he actually putted pretty well, but just nothing dropped. They were real testing greens, and I have to say I'm I'm. You know, a lot of these guys, you know, these pros, they turn up on the Saturday for the tournament, hit the putting green, hit the dri- you know, the driving range, practice, and then they head out. Like, you and I walked off, we played a practice round on the Friday uh, with Tom, the, 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 the manager down there, and your dad, and we were saying how tough the greens were. You know, we, we not, you know, one, it's a real sevy course. It, it, there's not a straight putt on the bloody place. You know, mm. everything was either left to right, right to left, you know, there didn't seem to be a flat green on the course. No, there were lots of slopes, undulations around the greens, and um, on the greens, of course. And lots of tiers, yeah. you know, so you have to get it on the right tier to even have a chance, but the pros, they just turn up and they, they play it, you know, and they play it straight into competition, and, and I, I find that somewhat strange, but I also find it quite odd that they go out for a tournament like that, and they don't try and get their you know, maybe the night before for, for an hour or just to, to remind themselves the greens, the pace of the greens, what they look mm. like, how they feel. You know, standing up on the first and hitting it down the driveway, drive, that's fair enough. But I would have thought that you need a bit more time on the greens. But maybe that's just me. You know, maybe it just doesn't facilitate these guys at all because they're obviously doing their own jobs Monday to Friday and they turn up to these events Saturday, Sunday. But They're just faster learners maybe on the... the on the practice green than us. Um, it is it is a very admirable quality because it took, I'd say it took us, if we're going to be honest, the 18 practice holes on the Friday and probably the front nine on the Saturday before we started to kind of click with the greens and what they were doing. And, and we even talked to Mark about it as well as we were going around saying the putts, a lot of them looked like they were breaking a huge amount, but they actually weren't breaking a huge amount. And there were other ones that didn't look like they'd break much and they actually did. So it was, it was a learning process for all of us, and I found that the only way for me to really see what the line was doing was to make sure I checked the putt from both sides, and even from the side of the putt as well. And then you start to build up the picture in your head of what the putt may or may not do, 
and uh, that helped. You know, we finally started to get it, and at least we were getting our putts close, if not, you know, or giving them a chance of going in. We, uh, as a whole, did not hold a lot of putts of any significance. No, I, I, I can't think of any putts that I held. You know, over a huge, huge distance. Um, nice 15, 18 footer on um, to the par four with the quarry. You made, you made a. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was a good putt. Uh, yeah, and I loved that hole this know, weekend. I was one under for both for both days. Uh. Do you know what I was thinking about it? Um, the putting in particular at, at the end after the event. And that was a putt that went in at pace. I put a. I made a par on the final hole of the tournament. I put that in at pace. The ball held its line an awful lot better. So. I think that was maybe something we missed this weekend, that our putts weren't running at the hole, so any of those little slopes that were there were affecting the ball a huge amount when the ball was slowing down towards the hole, and you know the, the, the line that you've picked is that much more difficult to actually make that putt along when the ball has is rolling slowly and the green is having such an effect on its trajectory. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second, because I think in theory that is how we should always play. And I completely agree with everything you're saying, Barry. I think, unfortunately, the way, as a team, now we finished tied 19th out of 54, 55 teams, 56 teams. So, um, you know, we were very happy with, you know, as a team, happy enough with where we finished. The problem that I think we found was that um, we weren't actually able to necessarily roll the putts at that pace because there wasn't, too many holes that all four, four of us were still in it and there was an element and I, I know I said it to Mark um, towards the back nine of, of day one and I, I said you know I don't know what score we're on but you know I just don't feel like we've had a hole where all of us have been looking at birdie putts or par putts or you know somebody has been able to you know have a tap-in par, mm. which has given somebody a 13 or 14 or 16 footer a chance for a birdie because there's two pars in, there's six points in the bag, mm. so you can have a go at it. And yeah, I think that was struggle. the thing that we weren't able to, because I know I said it to Mark, I said, I, I don't feel like I'm holding any putts. He said, you're not holding any putts, but you're not being given the opportunity to hold any putts mm. either because, unfortunately, for whatever reason, you were out of the hole or your dad was out of the hole. And all of a sudden, we could be looking at two points, four points, or no points. Yeah, so you have to just lock and, in and that you have two to, points. you have to yeah. kind of go, okay, like I have a whole green to go here. Three putts is actually probably not a bad thing. Mm. And it was one green, I think it was the fourth. I was at the front. Um, you had gone in the water. Your dad had gone in the water. Mark was kind of pin high back. Mm. Um, and I was like, okay, I have a long way to go here. But two putts... To, you know, and and that was the way it ended up kind of having to go. That's a very good point, actually. We there were, um, a large part of the us, the four of us not being in play was down to me. I lost a ridiculous amount of uh, golf balls this weekend. Was in trouble an awful lot after tea. Just in general, had a bad weekend with the swing. Um, I had some. I, there were some really good holes there as well. A couple of birdies. Had some well played holes, but by and large, the game was an absolute mess. So. And, and that's the thing, when you're playing these team events where four players can score in a hole, you want to have four players, like you said, looking down the barrel of sco- you know, scoring puts or one person locking down the two or three points and the rest having a free roll at three or four points. 
So uh, that was something we just didn't have this weekend. Uh, I will put my hand up for that. I was a disaster. Um, well, look, it's, it, I think uh, Mark made the comment to you on, on Sunday that nearly you tried too hard and, and you mm. got stiffened by it. Um, I think I, 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 I go the opposite. I, I find when I go to these events, I seem to play far better because... I walk a little taller and I, I relax a little more and after the first tee and you know you kind of get away from the crowd and you kind of settle into it there's that kind of having Mark there as the guy who coaches me as well gives me a bit of confidence and um, I played I have to say personally you know I had 37 points with two two scores as well sorry 37 points of which on the card two holes didn't get to go down mm. on the on the Saturday um, and with that, and I think I left. I'm thinking of the birdie put on on 15, where I won nearest to the pin, and there was a couple of others that, again, I didn't roll them straight at the hole because I was concerned there was either a precipice behind it <laughs> that you're kind of going. If I ran this past, I could be 12 foot beyond. Yeah. So, um, there was about four or five points I think that I left out there over the course of that day that uh, mm. could have easily have gone on the card uh, from 37. But No, you played superb. The ball flight was just brilliant this weekend. And all the work that you've done throughout the winter finally seems to have come together and manifested itself in that. And it was just really consistent. The swing was good. The bad swings that crept in, they do, were amateurs, were deleted straight away and you were just back on it. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I had just the Friday, I didn't play great. And I just had low confidence and that caused me to be over, overly cautious and overprotecting with my swing and that caused the swing to just go to shit. So, uh, look, you don't... Um, there was even a <coughs> one of those S-words thrown in there, I think, wasn't there? Shit, yeah, yeah. It's our <laughs> podcast, we can say it. Yeah, one of the oh, shanks. <laughs> oh, yeah, the hosel rockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, do you know what? That was, that was a really frustrating thing because that... I didn't hit a great... I didn't hit a perfectly out of the middle of the driver, but it was fine. And I got lucky. I carried the bunkers, got a great shoot off the down slope, and had a wedge in hand to a pretty testing par four. And this made this shot so much easier because you're going in with a off a flat lie. The greens, it's pretty big. Like Even though there's water right and bunker left, this is a all day long, we should be getting this with inside 20 foot. And uh, then I think it was, yeah. No, not the ninth. That was, uh, was it the 8th? The 8th is the par 5 with water going up the left. Is this, this is that the hole after the quarry? This is, this is the one I'm talking about. Oh, uh, that no, one? that's the, um, the uh, 10th, 11th, 12th, the 12th. Right, okay, so this is where, yeah, so I got away, yeah, I got away with it on the drive. It was an, you know, it was, I was like, okay, great, I'm in a brilliant position here. And uh, wedge in hand, Dad was in trouble, so I was like, okay, just got to put a nice swing in it, and uh, whatever, setup was wrong, stood too close to the ball, or moved all over the base and swing, and uh, just cannoned that ball straight off the shaft, and hosel into the water. And it kind of summed up your day, though. It really It kind of summed up your weekend as well, and, yeah. and I suppose if I give the example of the ninth, um, which is a gorgeous, so 18 and 19 is water straight down the middle of uh, the ninth and 18th, yeah, yeah, yeah. they run parallel to each other. One on the left, one on the right, and there's a huge body of water in the middle with both greens kind of cutting in towards the water around the clubhouse. And in a natural kind of bowl amphitheatre. It's, yeah. it's a brilliant setup like for a finishing of a golf course. It's you couldn't you can't plan this any better. Like the the way Sevy sculpted this 
it's just superb. And the way that we, and this is something we have to take down to Karn when we're talking about, you know, talking to each other, playing as a team. Some guys might have to take a 3-1 off a tee, even if that's not what you want to do. Mm. That's my, what you have to do, is maybe to just keep balls in play and say, look, you know, we've had a drive, Mark's in trouble or, or James is in trouble, we need to take two three woods, put them 200 yards down the middle of the fairway and suck it up for the moment because we need to have two or three balls still in play. Mm. The ninth is a great example, I think, of, of where, as a team, it went wrong. We had you far left over the first and into the into the into the front bedrooms of the hotel. Probably on somebody's balcony. Yeah. Um, your dad had gone in the water. Mark was in a perfect place down the middle of the fairway. I absolutely hit probably the best drive I hit all week, which left me no more than ninety eight yards out to the pin, which was tucked in back right. And you were gone. Your dad was gone. Mark was pin high left, um, and I was looking, going, "Okay, ninety eight. Okay, it's a wedge. Can't go at the can't go at the flag here. If I tug this anyway right, it's gone in the water. Now, shouldn't be thinking that, but that's the reality. We're and not, all we're of amateurs. a sudden, we're not, yeah, all we're... of a sudden, I'm looking left. So I end up going, "Okay, I'm actually going to just hit a three quarter, and I'm just going to try and kind of." Landed on the front of the green and let it roll up. Like a chip and run kind of, yeah. And if, if it just stops at the front of the green, okay, it's flat part of the green. I'll have two putts, hopefully, for a par. But that's the thing. If there was two more balls in play, you guys were in the middle of the green. You're freed up. I'm then going, okay, lads, worst case scenario, one, if not both of you, are going to get pars out of this. Mm. I can now really like try and go for the pin. And if it doesn't come off, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's something we'll, we'll have learnt. Um, let's talk very briefly about the Heritage Golf Course itself, Barry. Out of 10, if people are travelling from abroad, it's an hour and a bit. It's about an hour and 15 minutes from Dublin. Yeah. Probably an hour, of an hour from the airport. Mm. Um, 18 holes, um, parkland. I thought the condition of the course was superb. Um, didn't particularly like their bunkers. They're, they're kind of like wasteland. Um, They've got that kind of rough kind of style about the edging on them so think sort of like the way Pinehurst number two was redeveloped just you know sort of wispy grass at the edges they're not clean cut edges even though there are distinct shapes to the reminded bunkers. me a bit of where was it Dustin Johnson lost his whistling major straights. whistling straights um, sort of like that, that yeah, the wasteland of, bunker yeah. kind of that kind of style now easy to get out of if you're in the fairway bunkers you know there was no problem unless you were right up against the lip you could yeah. still hit you know, a five iron or a seven iron out to the green. There wasn't that much of a difficulty because you knew you weren't going to take a load of sand because there wasn't a load of sand in it. There wasn't a huge amount of sand, but they were very consistent in the amount of sand throughout the course that I found. Uh, I was in a few of them over the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I suppose it just depends on your aesthetic preference for bunkers. I think they look quite not quite cool like that. It's not ridiculously manicured it looks more natural to me but you know to some people that might not be a thing that they want to see they want to see clean edges you know the same amount of turf showing between the sand and and the, the grass itself and uh, i don't know i there was there were some parts of them on those edges that were because of the way they were built the if your ball happened to go into it you know, into the sand in that part you're in a horror of a lie because you know animals dug a little burrow on the edge of it or something like that but Look, by and large, the course was an amazing condition. I don't like. 
I can't think of many reasons I wouldn't be able to give it 10 out of 10 for a condition and how it was presented for everybody to play. um, From what we heard, the greenskeeping staff had been going at it for two weeks solid up at half four in the morning to do it. I'm working all day, every day to get it in, in the condition it was in. It was stunning. Onto the actual golf course itself and the design of it, I thought it was brilliant. There were so many memorable and great holes out there. No, there's no holes that just kind of go. Ah, oh, yeah, here you can just nurse one down here and just play it. You had to. No. You had, <laughs> you, Definitely. And this not. is the thing. So it's it's a hu- it's a challenge to every part of your game. Uh, you know, off the tee, you have to hit it well off the tee. You have to play very good. You know, iron shots. If you play good shots, you got rewarded. You know there are ways to feed the ball into the par fives and run it up, and we did that on a few occasions, reaching the par fives and two, and give ourselves looks at eagle. The par fours, yeah, just it's a it's a cracking golf course. I would highly recommend people play it. It is not the most expensive one around, which means you're getting great value for money. Mark made the point: if that was forty five minutes closer to Dublin, yeah, it would be in the. Um, Mount Juliet. It would be in your mm. your top excellence of courses. If that in recognition, like, yeah, yeah. If if that was near, you know, Carton House, it would be more mm. sought after than Carton House and um, Mount Juliet places. Druids Glen. It is a superb. He said uh, when we were chatting away on Saturday night. He said to me that uh, that course is good enough to hold an Irish Open mm-hmm. if if they wanted to. If they but. The problem is it's just slightly too far out to have that so-called recognition given to it. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's a really good point. And it could genuinely hold an Irish Open or a big, big event uh, which well, on the PGA circuit. The Irish PGA circuit is holding the, big, the biggest event of the year in terms of prize money. Could definitely hold an Irish Open. There were a lot of... Um, a lot of the tees that were set for the pros that weekend were not off the, the back tee boxes. The course wasn't playing at its full length and uh, a brutish distance. The fairways were generous. The light rough was fine. It had, you know, you found your, your occasional bad lie, but in general it was it was down quite a lot and you could play from the rough. He says they grow that rough up and uh, push the tees back and all of a sudden it's a really serious challenge. Um, Favourite hole? Oh... I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a, a, a couple. I really liked nine and eighteen. I think are standout for some yeah. obvious reasons. Um, but one of my favourite was the twelfth, uh, the one that we spoke about earlier with the water on the right. Um, it's just a really clever hole. Bunkers ready to catch. If you try and take too much off it, you could end up in the bunker. If you just get a right, you could really kick on down. And and, mm. have, and then if you kind of lay to the left of the bunkers, it tended to die into the bank and you'd probably be hitting kind of a long five, maybe a four iron in. Yeah. Um, it's just really, really clever. Real risk and reward golf course. But that and I suppose the other one, which personally with the birdie and the par that I had the two days, uh, the 11th with the quarry on the right, short, but man, did it make you think. Uh, bunkers all along the left. Yeah, uh, and, and in, in theory, on on the you know on a right day with the wind helping, it's a drivable hole, or you can get it up real close. But there is a just a, a, literally a quarry with you know sand at the bottom of it, so it just turns into like a super deep bunker to the right of the green, and 
you can end up with all sorts of catastrophic scores if you end if you leak your drive right. But that's a great hole, really, really cleverly designed. For me, I loved. Um, I really liked the par fives. I thought they were a great set of par fives. I the ace is a lovely par five mm. with the water going up the left. Yeah. Um, the second I thought was a great one. Um, really inviting tee shot, like lots of fairway to land it in. The, the second day, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, loads of fairway to land it in. For, so, Barry, what day, where were you on day one? On the other. Trees left. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> the uh, Day two, though, I had a good drive, hit uh, five yards back of the green. Didn't pull the best of lies, had to really hit at it and went 15 foot by and then missed the book. It's a real risk and reward again. Oh, yeah, you're playing over Day one, uh, I laid up to short of the green mm. and then hit a wedge in, made the par. Day two, I was far enough down that I could have gone for it and then I decided to bail on it a little bit um, and went short right and then got up and down and got the par. So, it's again, a super risk reward. Amazingly, the, the optics on that that particular hole was that the ball looked miles away from the hole, from the fairway. And then you got up, and it was yeah. so much closer than it actually was. It was it was Whatever really way, weird. So the green is sitting at a an angle to you, like from front right to back left, if that makes sense. From say like you know half four on the clock to maybe half ten on the clock. So it's at that diagonal angle, and with the water running left and front of it, you need to uh, or you need to play off to the right. You need to play right of the pin all the time to be safe there. So like you said, when, when, you're, when you see your shot land on the green from, uh, from the fairway, you're thinking, oh my God, that's 50 foot away. When you get up there, it's maybe 20 foot. It's, yeah, uh, it's incredible. Uh, would you play it again? Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah, would you? Yeah, I thought it was... Uh, I, I think the organisation needs um, a lot of work yes. and we won't go into that today, but uh, I thought as a competition, as a course... I'd go and play the Heritage again mm. in a heartbeat. Yeah. I just thought it was superb. Really enjoyed it. And I think it's one of those courses, the more you play and the more you get to know the greens and the, the way things work, you probably would end up being able to shoot a pretty good number on mm. a good day. I'd hate to play that. I thought it was pretty long. Even when I was hitting really, really good drives, I was still hitting kind of seven, six, seven irons in, where if I was hitting similar length drives... Because I looked at my game golf and I hit a lot of kind of 250, 260 drives on, on Saturday. And I was still hitting, you know, decent enough irons in. Mm. Where if I was hitting that up in Glen of the Downs, I think I'd be hitting your kind of your, your eights in maybe or your nines in for a lot of holes. I think the thing um, is we're just used so to a shorter course in, in Glen of the Downs. And, so uh, it's a real test. Yeah, so it's, no, it's something we have to work on, you know. A pr- you know, learn about our games at some holes you just you're going to end up with mid irons in and uh, that's just part of what we got to do when we're going to play all these different golf courses great golf course we should look for maybe an open competition there be good to yeah. challenge, rather than just going and playing it uh, for the fun of it be good to go play it in another competition uh, format um, yeah brilliant. and I suppose at the end of the day uh, we move on now it was a great warm up we move on to Carn next just week one more thing though. we should mention the uh, the auction James oh. you bought you you actually uh, you got this for it. We won't say the price. Oh, I, I, this is thievery. This, this, this is, is thievery. So I don't mind you can say the price. No, 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 no we won't. Uh, mo- good money went to the Sevy Foundation. They raised a whole amount of money for the Sevy Foundation this weekend, which is brilliant, and we were delighted that that happened. The prize James won at the auction is a visit to Sevy's house in Pedreña in northern Spain, uh, a walk and tour through his trophy room, 
and also a four ball at Royal Pedrenia Golf Club, which is one of the most exclusive clubs in Europe, if not the world, as in you don't play this unless you're playing with a member and get invited out to play and you they've managed to sort out a four ball for it. So um you know the the MC suggested uh, an opening bid of X and James said, hmm, hmm, hmm. Oh, feck it. I, I'm gonna... Well, well. now, to be fair, I had my wife to my left and I had said to her, you know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance to go to... I really wanted just to go to Seve's house to mm. see the trophy cabinet, you know, to be able to see the likes of the, a master's jacket, to see, you know, some of the trophies up close. Like, that's, as they said in the night, that's, that's a prize that money can't buy. Ironically, money did buy it. Money bought it. (laughs) But but that, you know, this is something that you can't just go and get from, you know, a a tour company. Like, this is a once-off. So I'd spoken to to Camilla, um, and she kind of said, look, you know, X was the the amount that I was willing, you know, to go. Um, Yeah, you had your max buy limit. Yeah, and she was like, she'd love to go. She was like, this would be amazing. Like, even, you know, she doesn't play golf, but... She's a fan of sport and she knows how big, you know, an event like that would be and what it would mean. And, uh, yeah, they just started and nobody was bidding. And I was like, what? Like, surely this is like, they, they've, they've kept the two best prizes, this and the, 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 the cast hand the cast trophy. Hand trophy. Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, you know, this is going to go for big money because there was four balls in, in Irish golf courses that were going for X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, like it's probably going to be right at the top end of our budget mm-hmm. to, to get this. Nobody bid. And I was like, what? Okay, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're like, who, who'll give me this? And you went, kind of confused look and just went, why is nobody... Okay, fine, I'll bid that. And then I probably expect- should have waited till they dropped it a bit now. <laughs> Stuck yeah. the hand up. I, and I, I, couldn't, but I thought somebody else then would go, yeah, okay, you know, 50 quid more or 100 quid more. And nobody put up. Like, it was it was like, I, I, there's a joke about, it's, you know, like Irish auctions are great um, if you get a priest to go to them for you because nobody will bet against a priest. Yeah. You know, I was kind of like looking around going, is somebody, you know, surely somebody's going to bet here. But it was like you were in a room with non-golfers. Like, you know, people from a different sport who have no interest in golf whatsoever and you were the only golfer there bidding on the golf item. It was just, in- I, I couldn't believe it. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to it, I have to say. And uh, uh, there's there's plans afoot for a trip to Bilbao now because it's, it's an hour outside Bilbao. So, uh there's plans afoot for some time in early 2017 to uh, to head over to do it. So we will keep you all informed, and uh, there'll be pl- plenty of photos going up online if um, if and when we get there. So if you want to see the trophy they made, or the kind of the, the Seve Ballesteros Memorial kind of trophy uh, that was made for the event, it's on our it's already it's on our Twitter a couple of times there. But beautiful, you know, cast of Seve's hands holding a club into a marble kind of base it's it's a really fantastic piece altogether and so that look, was that was bought by the the golf club there was by it? the golf club yeah, yeah to, yeah, to yeah. have so it obviously it's, I mean, it's a great idea it makes sense I, i'd love if they um you know to me it would be great if that became the trophy for for the program oh, you know if they made that the trophy with the with the an argument that you, you you know with the caveat that you can't take it out of the the, the clubhouse but mm. that's that would be the trophy for the pro am, but yeah, they may maybe, do that. Maybe you get you a know. replica or something; would be cool. And um, so that that was our golfing week. Uh, let's have a look at what the actual pros did this week. And the LPGA was at the Shoprite LPGA Classic presented by Acer. 
the Bay Course at Stockton Sea View Hotel and Golf Club in New Jersey. It was played over the 6,177-yard par 71, and Anna Northquist wins by one shot over Haru Nomura. Uh, she shot a final round 64 to tie the tournament record and defended her title. Mm-hmm. Um, then on the European Tour, we are looking at the sorry the Nordia Masters at the Brohoff Slot Golf Club in Stockholm in Sweden and uh, Englishman Matthew Fitzpatrick won his second European Tour title as he eased to a three-shot victory at the Nordia Masters. The Englishman came from um, came into the final day with a five-shot advantage, and while he saw the cut to his he saw his cut down to two at the turn, he kept his head on the back nine to sign for a seventy-one to get to sixteen under and hold off the channel of Lassie Jensen and Nicholas Coulthard who uh, kept a very fine run of, of golf at the moment going. Henrik Stenson was tied fourth um, along with Bjorn Helgreen. And uh, I suppose, look, th- this was really Matthew Fitzpatrick's from start to finish. It was uh, comfortable enough in the end. Nobody really made any major movement from him. And, uh, no. and great for Matthew Fitzpatrick. He's such a good player. And, and capitalised on some really good recent form. He uh, yeah, very impressive altogether. The the Saturday, the sorry, his Friday round really just kicked him into into gear and uh, put the foot down, and nobody could end it. The Saturday round was just a beautiful four under, only one mistake on the card, but had a run of uh, five birdies and seven holes. And uh, Saturday Sunday was a very stress free sort of uh, coast to the win, really. I suppose if you're going to ever have a way of winning a tournament that's the way to do it take a six shot lead going into uh, mm. into Sunday and then basically say not to become defensive but say come get me yeah. you know you know I'll I'll attack where I have to attack and I'm going to just hit the middle of the green on the ones that could be sucker pins that will just gobble up the ball and put bogeys on the card I think if guys are having to chase you down to make birdies they're getting aggressive and their mistakes will become amplified because they're missing in tough spots and then it's difficult to make par and they're making mistakes, which means your lead is just and they have to They yeah. have to take on the sucker pins mm. where perhaps you don't. Um, superb second win for Matthew Fitzpatrick after the 2015 British Masters. So he's, he's putting a lot of decent, you know, these aren't second-rate mm. tournaments. This is a big tournament on the European Tour, the British Masters sponsored by uh, Sky Sports, was a, another big tournament. So, you know, he's finding his feet. And looks like a man who is all but guaranteed to go to the Ryder Cup at this stage. Yeah, and even, even if he doesn't make it through the standings, they'd be mad not to give him a captain's pick. You know, super golfer. And, uh, Joy to watch yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so let's look at the PGA Tour and the Memorial Tournament, that being, I suppose, more commonly known as Jack's Tournament, was played at Muirfield Village Golf Club in Dublin, Ohio. It was played over the 7,352-yard par 72. And William McGritt uh, won in a playoff. And uh, it was it was some uh, some playoff in the end. It was played on the second, uh, won it on the second hole. Um, but he was kind of, you know, he was lucky enough to make it even through to that. Um, he won by, I suppose, uh, sorry, he defeated John, John Curran who he beat on the second playoff hole to win the Memorial. And um, 
I, I want to make a joke about, you know, show true grit, etc., etc., but uh, I won't because it's obviously too obvious. But well, I'll just do his, it. His name is McGirt, but he was showing grit. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it was an incredible achievement by him. And going down the, going down the, the, the playoff, first playoff hole, you know, uh, Kearns, middle of, the fair, uh, middle of the green in two. William McGritt goes and puts it, uh, goes it straight into the bunker. You know, easy enough bunker, but still had to get up and down um, to go and force uh, the playoff for the second time. And unfortunately for 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 John, uh, just didn't quite uh, do it the second time round. Um, both overcooked their second shots over the green. Um, adrenaline. A lot of adrenaline. Um, John got the the benefit of the cart path. Um, but the drop was not too pleasant and chunked it right back down the front of the, 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 the green mm. where uh, William McGirt really got it out, got it close and had two pots ultimately for the win. Um, the, didn't uh, need it in the end, just this, took the one. This is the guy who um, Tiger gave a little bit of advice to back in 2012. He was, he was in contention going down the stretch and uh, didn't win the tournament. But a week later, uh, he's on the practice green. And he was saying that he didn't look at the leaderboard. He doesn't look at leaderboards. He just plays his own game. And Tiger overhears this and comes over and says, what the hell are you doing? You absolute idiot. You need to know what you're doing. You need to be looking at the leaderboards. And ever since then, he's done that. And he said he stared down every single leaderboard from top to bottom the whole weekend. And so he knew what he needed to do. And it's you know, well, br- it brilliant, is- brilliant win. Made... What was it twenty two last twenty two holes without a bogey when the wind was really howling there and you know, so, uh, causing yeah. causing the guys to throw in bogeys, doubles, triples, and you know so round ruining. It was holes. a seventy sixty eight sixty four, which was superb. Uh, one of the the lowest, I think, if not the lowest, um, on on Saturday in a seventy one for two seventy three fifteen under. And when you say about staring down the leaderboard, it, it, it's a leaderboard that was packed with a lot of big names there. You had Dustin Johnson one shot behind at minus 14, Rory McIlroy, J.B. Holmes, Gary Woodland, Matt Kuchar all at minus 13, Patrick Reed, Keegan Bradley, Kevin Strillman at minus 12, Mark Leishman, uh, Charles Swartzill, um, you know, Han Yan. You know, there was so many big, big names. So if you're going to stare at a leaderboard... You know, that's going to be a leaderboard that's going to send a little shiver down your spine. Um, Rory was on the plane on the way home before he decided that maybe he needed to check to see whether he was going to be in a playoff after shooting a 68 final round to lead him at tied fourth. Um, an interesting weekend for, for, for Rory. It, it didn't quite come together. You know, those 71-70 in the middle of the, 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 the 66 and 68 kind of you know, took a bit of wind out of his sails. Um, but another great week for Rory, you know, for a guy who everybody's saying has a, is struggling with the putter, is struggling with chipping, struggling with all of these things. You know, it's another top four. It's another top ten. You yeah. know, it's... it's If we, this is him not playing well, you know, when he does start playing well, it's he's going to be right back there winning big, big tournaments. Well, it's interesting that he changed back to a conventional putting grip this week and was one of the leaders in putting. He held 410 foot worth of putts. So I guess the uh, that really is the answer to what, how the experiment with playing uh, putting left below right will... You know, and I remember... Just when can it. It's gone. He goes back to what he does. He'll always be a streaky putter. 
just accept when you get your your good streak and your bad streak won't be as bad. Well, the funny thing is, and this may be rose-tinted, but I, I remember him when he was with Titleist and with Scotty Cameron that he was a really consistent putter. And then when he changed over to, to Nike and everybody said, you know, this is madness, you know, big money, but, you know, the clubs and blah, blah, blah. He moved, obviously, he had to move to a, you know, a, a Nike putter. And that was really the start of where I always felt mm. that he became a little streaky with the putter. Because that year where he really went off the boil, the first year of the Nike contract, and I think towards the end, I think he won down in Australia. But, like, it was really the putting let him down a huge amount during that season. And you just wonder, you know, has he really ever found that putter that he loved as much as the Scotty Cameron that he used back when he was with Titleist. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, remember we talked about that when, when Tiger switched from Titleist to Nike, he had a rider in his contract that he was allowed to use the Scotty until he found a Nike that, or, or something along those lines. Or something that he was, in, he was happy with exactly. uh, that gave him the same feel. And, and I just wonder, like Rory didn't get that in the contract for, for various reasons. And one, as I understand it, was that when when Tiger went across, Nike were only really starting out, and there was a mm. lot of R and D that was still needed. But um, I suppose you know a change has been there, and it's, he's now gone back. So hopefully, you know whatever has needed to be righted yeah. has been written, you know, righted. So hopefully, you know we're coming into a busy, busy period of this season, and um, we've got majors coming thick and fast now over the next few weeks. And months, and uh, you know, if he's ever going to show form, this this is the time to do it. Yeah, I think he's going to strike me. He's yeah, just checking the stats. He was third uh, in putting last week. His long game wasn't as sharp as it usually is. His off the tee was brilliant, but uh, his irons approach shots weren't you know weren't his usual super high standard. So uh, just be aware when he gets it all together, he's going to blitz the field in one of these events the way Jason Day has done it recently so uh, yeah it's exciting um, if we throw in Oak a couple Mont. of others yeah like tie 20 Phil uh, was tied 20 at the 10 under only only 5 behind Jason Day one further back and tied 27th at 9 under so it was a tight enough leaderboard you know a lot of guys showing a good bit of form um, you know Phil talking this week about Oakmont being the toughest course that they, they, they could possibly play so um you know, a lot of a lot of guys are are just bubbling under. So hopefully, over the next couple of weeks, you know, and leading into the the US in a week's time, it's um, really really coming coming together nicely. The ingredients are all there to for a fantastic. So I suppose we should just again finish. Uh, congratulations to to the winners of the various competitions, and uh, I suppose looking ahead to next week, the LPGA is at the KPMG Women's PGA Championship uh, down in Washington. It's going to be played over the six thousand six hundred and twenty-four yard par seventy-one. Inby Park is attempting to win, as Barry said earlier, the fourth in a row. And um, she has a couple of issues with the thumb, which is causing her pain, but. As Barry again said earlier, you know, beware of an injured golfer and uh, the way that Inby Park knows this course and knows how to win, it wouldn't be a surprise to see her very much up at the lead, top of the leaderboard, which probably means that the uh, betting is reflecting that Inby Park has uh, probably quite a distance ahead yeah. of the field on this competition. She's 35-1, to 1, uh, Lydia Coe, for obvious reasons, superstar, she's 5-1. to 1. Jutta Newgarn, who's uh, just been winning like crazy recently, is 10 to 1. Lexi Thompson, 12. Inji Chun, 16. Se Young Kim's 20. 
Minji Lee is 22s. Jarena Pillar playing great recently is 25 to 1, along with Stacey Lewis and last week's winner, Anna Nordqvist. Harry Nomura, last week's runner up, is 28 to 1, as is Hannah Jang and Suzanne Pedersen. Brooke Henderson, 30, Amy Yang, 30, and the rest of you have a 33 to 1 and out. So we look then to the European Tour, and the European Tour is at the uh, Lioness Open at the Diamond Golf Club in Austria. It's going to be played over the 7,458 yard par 72, and uh, a milestone for Peter Lowry, who makes his 400th European Tour performance and appearance. So, congratulations to Peter Lowry on, on reaching what must be a very uh, unique club because I can't think of too many players that would no. be north of the 400th uh, European Tour event. So congratulations to him. Aside from, from Peter Lowry, what is the betting looking like in, in relation to this? So course? this is betting and running at the moment. The tournament kicked off this morning. So uh, Chris Wood and Bernd Fiesberger, along with Joost Lauten, are the tournament favourites. Um, currently, as it stands, the lead is 400, shared by two players. So, uh, look, we'll, we'll catch up and have a look at it next week. But uh, the boys seem to be scoring pretty well here. So, uh, you, know, you could have a lot of, a lot of birdies in the stretch. You need to be aggressive all week long to win it. So, let's move then, finally, to the PGA Tour. It's the FedEx St. Jude Classic. It's at the TPC Southwind Memphis, Tennessee. It's going to be played over 7,244-yard par 70. And, Barry, you have had a look at the, the course itself. Um, this, this is a good tune-up for the US Open. It's a real tight technical course. It's been one of the hardest non-major par 70 on tour in the last two years. So with Oakmont coming up next week, it'll be a great test for the game. It'll shape the things that you need, the parts of your game that you need uh, to be firing on for next week at Oakmont. So well, A couple of players, uh, a lot of the big, big names have, have dropped out, mm. um, have taken this week off just to hone the game on the driving range and do what they need for Oakmont. But Dustin Johnson is leading the, the field in the betting at 13-2. to two. Brooks Kepka at 12 to 1 Phil Mickelson is 14 to 1 Ryan Palmer 20 to 1 Daniel Berger and Harris English Gary Woodland 22 to 1 Colton uh, Colt Nost 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 yeah Nost. one or the other 30, 35 to 1 Charles Howell 40 to 1 with Graham McDowell Russell Henley 50 to 1 with Molinari Francisco I should say Molinari and then you're kind of looking at uh, Boo Weekly down there 60 to 1 and kind of out and out and out and out it's not the strongest field, um, which means that I suppose if you're if you're looking for value this week, you know um, it might be out there. There's there's seven places being paid by by one bookmaker, um, so you know seven places. A lot of guys outside of Dustin Johnson who's showing a lot of form at the moment. Phil, who was you know up there tied twentieth last week, fourteen to one. You know, you could probably go down the field a little bit and, and find a kind of a 70, 80, 90, 100 to 1 player that you might fancy uh, to make a, a top top 7. Do not ask me to name a player. Uh, no. Last week, I thought Justin Thomas was ready to play in the big groups with McElroy and Spieth. He was not. <laughs> he was definitely not and nearly finished uh, dead last. So um, I'm just not going to pick off. It's going to also be, it's a very hard one to pick because there's such a, a, a big field um, and there's names that we just don't see enough of or know enough of to be able to say. So it could be a player that just completely comes out of left field literally to win this tournament interestingly the week I abandoned Hendrik Stenson he finishes fourth so uh, I, I think I'm just the, in opposite land at the moment when it comes to picking golfers and backing them for tournaments well, hopefully they can turn it around next week 
So look, that's that's the week that's ahead. Uh, some tournaments have started, some are about to. Um, good luck if you're playing golf this weekend. Um, thank you to Barry, as always, for his input. You, the listeners, for downloading and the feedback at Podcast GTS. You'll find us on Game Golf under James Richardson and Barry O'Hanrahan. Uh, give us a follow, we'll follow you back so we can keep an eye on everyone's golf over the course of the year. Download the app if you haven't got it. You'll get it in any of the uh, the various uh, app stores for the various mobile formats. That just leaves me to, to thank everybody again. Good luck. Enjoy your golf this week. Enjoy playing it. Enjoy watching it. And we'll talk to you again next week with a preview of the US Open. Bye-bye, yeah. Well, you're fine. Bye-bye.